Let's worship in the word. Matthew chapter 12. And we are in verses 22 through 49 this morning. We're not going to have the words up there. So you'll actually have to go analog this morning. I know what, what in the world will happen. You can pull out your lightsaber if you need, you know, your digital word, or you can pull out the sword, the analog sword in, in the seat back in front. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We can get it to you. All right. By the way, if you don't have one, you can take one of those home. Matthew chapter 12, 22 through 49, as you're making your way there. Um, remember last Sunday that Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees. Uh, Matthew's switching gears here and he's, Jesus has been ministering. He's been doing miracles. He's going all around the country. He's turning. He's doing things that no one has done. And the nation is beginning to look at them. And the leadership of the nation is now focused upon Jesus Christ. And in doing so, they're not too happy about him because the spotlight is being turned off of them and their power and now onto the Messiah. And it's ironic that they're the ones who are supposed to know the scriptures and be pointing people towards the Messiah. Amen. But they're not. And so they begin to falsely condemn Jesus of being a lawbreaker, and specifically uh, in violating the Sabbath. And we talked about the importance of the Sabbath and how they had taken what God had given us, uh, had given the, the Jews, and then they had totally warped it into something that it shouldn't be. And you can go back and listen to last week's message. And we talked about the Talmud and all that kind of stuff. But we saw how Jesus kind of squared it away with them. He says, listen, number one, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I'm not subject to the sub Sabbath. The Sabbath is subject to me. I made it. <laughs> you know, it's my father's and, and, and not that he's a lawbreaker at all. He said, I did not come to break the law, but fulfill the law. And then secondly, he says, listen, it, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You know, that they would rather someone suffer than for them to reach out and help someone because God's law would restrict them. And they're like, you just totally missed the heart of God on this. And so Jesus was clearing up two things. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And number two, it's, it's legal to do good. Remember that as a Christian, <laughs> God wants you to do good. You know, Lord forbid you're ever driving to church and someone's broke down on the side of the road and, and they need your help or whatever it is. And you go, oh, I can't, I got to go to church, you know, love. Amen. Fulfills the law. So uh, we saw that the Pharisees had a warped view of God, his character, his commands. And in verse 14, 12, is, 12, 14, 12 tells us, sorry, in verse 14, they, it says that they went out to conspire to destroy Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And they ended up doing that. And so as we pick back up in verse 22, Matthew is going to give us a second example of what Jesus is going through. And in learning about what Jesus is going through, you're going to learn something about his character, about what God requires, how he's going to speak to us, all this type of stuff. And so pray for an open heart that God would teach you something about him, who he is. So verse 22, we pick up there. It says, then a demon possessed man who was blind and mute. Can you imagine that being blind and mute and be possessed with the demon? He was brought to him and he healed him. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? A couple of things for us to recognize there. Verses 22 and 23. First, there's a demon oppressed man. ESV says oppressed. Your version, NIV, New King James will say possessed. 
Uh, the word means that you are under the power of the enemy. So people translated oppressed, possessed, same difference there. Uh, Damanadzai or whatever it is. Um, basically be under, being under the power of a fallen angel. And so demons are basically fallen angels. Remember, uh, I think in, in Revelation talks about one third of the angels fell with Lucifer when he fell. And so demons are, are if you think of how powerful angels are, demons are very powerful beings. Now, I don't have time to go into demonology, but there are different ranks. There are different principalities. There are different powers of demons. And so you can have your male room angel demon, uh, fallen angel, along with Satan, who would be one of the highest, a cherubim, I think, according to the Old Testament prophets who fell, which is one of the most powerful demons. And so they're nothing to bat on, you know, to, to just kind of push aside. They're very powerful beings fallen in nature. And here this man is possessed. He's under the power of a demon, an evil spirit. They're spiritual in nature. And the effects of this demon upon this man were that he was mute and he was deaf. Can you imagine being mute and deaf? Was it mute and deaf or mute and blind? I'm and forgetful. Um, (laughs) But it says there in verse 22 that Jesus healed him. And so the man spoke and saw, right? So he healed him and the man spoke and saw Luke's account in chapter 11, which is the parallel to this. It says that he cast out the demon and he began to be able to speak and see. And so we know the effects of the demonic possession were had physical manifestations. And that just opens up a whole interesting world, doesn't it? With everything that's going on in our society and mental illness to certain degrees and why people are doing strange stuff. I can't nail it all down. I'm not an expert on any of this. All I know is there's something unexplainable that seems that's happening in our society and it reeks of the enemy. And, but Jesus came in and did what no one could do. He cast out that demon and he healed the man and the effects of the power of the enemy were gone. They were gone. Take note of that. Cause Jesus wraps back around to that later. And as people are looking on, as we would, they're just blown away. They're like, what in the world? How many of you have met someone who received their sight back and, you know, and also they couldn't talk and they could speak again? Yeah, not many. So everybody's just going, what in the world is going on here? And this is happening on a national scale, wherever Jesus was going. This was happening over and over and over and over And the response of the people is they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And they go, could this be the son of David? Could this be the son of son of David? If you remember just a chapter ago in chapter 11, if you flip back, you can just look at it. But uh, John the Baptist was struggling there in prison. Remember John the Baptist was struggling in prison. How would you like to be John the Baptist and then be put in prison? And you're going, what's going on here? I thought I was, I know I would decrease, but not like be put in jail decrease. He's put in jail and he sends his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we look for another? I mean, and what is Jesus's response? He quotes to him there in Matthew 11, five through six. He says, the blind receive their sight in the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised and the, and the poor of the good news preached to them. Go tell them what you've seen. Go tell them what I've done. Go tell them what's happening. He's quoting Isaiah, a couple different places from Isaiah, Isaiah 
uh, 29, 18 through 19 and Isaiah 35, five through 10. He's pointing them back to scripture. He's pointing them back to scripture, right? He's saying, look at what the prophet said the Messiah would be. And so the people had this national understanding that the Messiah would be one, although it was messed up, he would be one who'd come and do this kind of stuff. And so they're seeing it and they're trying to figure out who this is. And and they're going, could this be the son of David? Is this him? Now, what do you think a pastor should do at that point? Yeah, I think Isaiah, you know, I'm not quite sure yet, but I, I mean, certainly, you know, I understand the hesitation and all that stuff. You don't want to be wrong on something like that, but here all these things are happening and the scripturals are all lining up. And at the point, at that point, the Pharisees should have gone, this is the Messiah. They should have got the Sanhedrin together. They should have praised God and they should have ushered him and anointed him as King. Just as the prophets foretold, this is him. And he was. And here's the response of the ones who knew the verses, who knew the scriptures, who knew the old Testament, the people wondering if Jesus was the son of David, but verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons that this man casts out demons. I know we don't know, you know, we're not all theologians here. I'm definitely fall short of anything like that. But I kind of know there's the Holy God on one end. On the other end, there's forsaken demonic Satan on the other, right? These guys went here. They said, that's what he is. That's how he's empowered. That's what's going on. That's what the national leader said. That's what the pastors, the leaders were saying regarding Jesus. It's a serious situation. So Jesus takes the opportunity to expose the absolute propaganda and the lie that these men were spreading nationally. He addresses them. Look what he says there in verse 25. He says, knowing their thoughts. So one thing about Jesus, he knows your thoughts. He knows my thoughts. So apparently they were thinking this. But knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. He says, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Think about that. Jesus uses something everybody understands to begin to cut apart their argument. They're saying, Hey, listen, Jesus is possessed by the prince of demons and he's casting out demons. Right. And, and he points out that if that's true, which it isn't, then Satan would be destroying himself. He'd be fighting against himself, right? A kingdom, he says, a city, a house. Notice he says a kingdom broad, and then he brings it down to a city. And then something everybody else can relate to a house divided against itself cannot stand. I think we can all understand that living in the United States of America, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. What about a city divided against itself? Can it stand? 
No. What about a household? How many of us have come from broken homes or have that situation going on right now? It cannot stand. So he sits, he, Jesus just in a masterful stroke, just lays out their argument is foolishness. Listen, Satan is not divided against himself. He's not casting himself out yet. That's not his purpose. His, his purpose is to advance his kingdom, to possess, to oppress, to take more until everybody is destroyed. And they're all under his rule and his reign. That's his push. So Jesus says to them, your argument doesn't make sense. First of all, Satan isn't fighting himself. Secondly, verse 27. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Jesus is saying, if I'm casting out demons by the power of Satan, then what about your sons? That is your disciples. Now, real quickly, Jesus isn't pointing out the legitimacy of them casting out demons. He's just saying, you guys say, you know, you're casting out demons. You're casting them out. So are you casting them out by, uh, by Satan as well? And there's their disciples would say, well, no way. I'm, we're casting them out by God. And that's Jesus's point there. He says, go ask them. They'll be a judge for you because Satan doesn't cast out himself. The only the power of God removes the enemy. Does that make sense? That's what he's, that's what he's pushing that. I could do a better job of explaining that, but Jesus is exposing the craziness of their lives. Satan isn't fighting himself. If demons can only come out by the spirit of God, then what does that leave you with? How's Jesus doing this? <laughs> and that's his point. Verse 28. Look at your Bibles. But if it is by the spirit of God or the finger of God, Luke's version, I think says that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, you are on the wrong side of the equation. You are coming against the kingdom of God has come upon you. You are going against the kingdom is here. This is the work of God. The king was in their midst. As he was saying earlier in the chapter, the king was empowered by the spirit of God. And, and they were accusing him of being empowered by Satan on purpose. And Jesus explains what he is doing. Verse 29, he gives another example. Or, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now this verse gets taken out of context, like really weird. Like now we got to bind the strong man. We got to do, and we got to go through a mantra. What Jesus is explaining here is there's a strong man in charge of the world right now. And unless someone stronger comes in and binds them, no one's getting his goods. Well, guess who's stronger than the strong man? Jesus Christ busts into the darkness. He's walking into the enemy's house. He bound him up and he's taking his goods. That's what Jesus does. That's what the power of God does in our lives. Amen. I was so lost. He's still working on me. He took me out of a pit. I could not get out of. I was gone. I was drugged out. I was depressed. I was really heavy stuff, man. The enemy was really, really 
having his day with me oppressed, probably not possessed. Cause I knew the Lord when I was young. Amen. But he was, I had given myself over to him and it was darkness, but he came in to the house and he took care of business. That's what the world needs. That's what you need. That's what I need. We need Jesus in our hearts, in our lives, in our city. That's the politician you want to have in charge. When who comes in and takes the strong man out and then deals with the old man, <laughs> which is a very strong man. Amen. And he does through that progressive sanctification. So Jesus says, how can someone enter a strongman's house and says he plunders his goods unless he first binds the strongman?" And that's what Jesus was doing. He's walking in to the demon possessed person and he binds the enemy and he pulls them out. And the man goes free. He took his goods. You see the work of God in Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is Satan. He's no match for the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan isn't the polar opposite power of God. They aren't the yin and yang. Satan is a created being. As someone said once, Satan is God's devil. I know that's like, okay, theological implications, blah, blah, blah. Just realize who's in charge. And Jesus came into the house and he plundered his good. He's delivering his people from, and, and people were experiencing the effects of his rule, his reign, his kingdom in their lives. The spirit of God was in the son of God in, in his human form. The kingdom of God had come upon them and having declared to them that the work, this is the work of God and it's the work of the spirit. He says to them in verse 30, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. He looks them right in the eye, the nation, the national leaders who are supposed to be pointing people to Jesus. He said, if you are not with me, you are against me. And he would say this to us this morning. If you are not with me, you are against me. And those who are with them gather. What does that mean? We point people to Jesus. We lead people. We're a part of his hands, his feet, his heart in the world. Amen. That's what a church is. We're, we're, we're his extension. His heart is we're, we're in the world. Do continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ under the power of the Holy spirit. And if you aren't with me, you're against me. If you aren't gathering with me, you're scattering. And that's what they were doing. They were scattering the people instead of calling the nation to their Messiah. He was, they were pushing him away. They were scattering them like sheep, so to speak. And sadly they were doomed. Verse 31, check this out. Therefore I tell you every sin and blaspheming will be, will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy spirit will not be forgiven. And whosoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus uses a parallelism here. He goes from one thought, then to another, then back to the first thought, then back to the second thought. Um, just look at verse 31. It says, therefore I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. And then skip to verse 32 and whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. 
Okay. That's one thought. The other thought is this. Look at the second half of verse 31. He says, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Second part of 32, but whoever speaks against the Holy spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Pretty interesting stuff, huh? That's, that's what he's saying there. And he kind of just goes back and forth. They condemned Jesus without a cause, but the true condemnation was upon them. They had blasphemed the Holy spirit and were therefore eternally damned. This is a serious situation. Now there are a lot of questions about blasphemy, the Holy spirit. So real quickly, let's look at this. Jesus says in verse 31, again, that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. And that includes verse 32, whoever speaks a word against the son of man. Now many people, this is in his human form and they limit it to that. I'm, I don't know. Let's just try not to do that. <laughs> you know, if we, but it's within our heart. If we're not his amen, even, even, but the point is Jesus is saying, listen, every sin. Now sin is a general category of rebellion towards God. So he, and he says, every sin will be forgiven. Isn't that great to know? What kind of every sin, every sin by this, by the way, this isn't a universal God's forgiveness for everybody. That's not what this is saying. There's a context to forgiveness. Okay. It isn't everybody gets forgiven. No, it's those who repent and believe upon the son receive forgiveness. Period. He saves us from the penalty of our sin. Okay. So everyone in Christ will be forgiven. That's, that's the fuller deal. So large thing of sin. And he says also blasphemy. So sin's a broad category. Blasphemy is a specific thing. It's talking against the very, it's speaking, it's acting in a way that defames the very character of God. While sin does that, it's more specific. And that's what he's talking about here. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can blasphemy, blaspheme Christ. And this is why some people are saying it's limited to his earthly thing. And he says, I'll forgive you. Remember him on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They were mocking him and saying all these things. Paul in, what is it? Paul in, I think first, yeah. First Timothy one, 12 through 14. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to the service, uh, to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor. Paul says, this is who I was, but I received mercy because I acted in ignorance. Like Paul was a blasphemer. He blasphemed Christ. He persecuted Christ. He killed Christians. What happened? God's mercy covered his sin on the cross. Amen. Oh man. And Paul says this, I'm the chief of sinners and I've been forgiven so much so that you know that you have hope. Amen. So praise God, all manner of sin. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. All sin, all blasphemy, even towards the son, the Lord is willing and able to forgive. And that's what the blood of Jesus Christ does. And by the way, it's not 50 Hail Marys. It's not now do 5,500 pushups. It is the blood of Jesus Christ alone. That's it. You can't add one stick to it. As we remember last week, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should regarding the Sabbath. I know you're more confused. Go check out last week's message. But we just saw, but he says there in the second half of verse 32, he says, but whoever speaks against the Holy spirit will not be forgiven either in this age 
nor the age to come. And I have to admit, this is difficult. This is kind of difficult to understand because how many of you are going, have I blasphemed the Holy spirit? Am I in this situation where I'm for, I'm unforgiven? Well, they knew that the only way that Jesus was doing what he was doing was by the spirit of God. They knew this. And knowing that they ascribed all that he was doing as to being the power behind it was from the opposite and the evilest of evilest from Satan himself, that he was the one empowering. Now there is one coming on the scene of whom that will be true. The antichrist who will do signs and wonders, false signs and wonders and would deceive even if possible, the elect with his false prophet and all that kind of stuff. There will be a supernatural deception going on in a man, a world leader empowered by the devil himself. And you'll have this false Trinity going on. But they were ascribing that to Jesus Christ, the holiest, the purest, the righteous son of God. This was not an ignorant jest church. This was willful. It was deliberate and it was a deliberate desecration of the Holy spirit and Jesus. And there's no forgiveness of that. Not now, not ever. And people think it was limited to that time. Maybe because Jesus was in human form doing these things. And so, but I don't know, but the spirit of God had shown them miracle after miracle, after miracle, after miracle going on, right? They'd seen all this stuff. And instead of going, wow, praise be to God. What did they do? That's the work of Satan. That's what they said. They knew what they were doing. And they led a national deception in that. And they were teaching the nations. And so the hearts had become to the point of no return, I think is what had happened. They were so hardened to the Lord that they denied the spirit. Listen, what does the spirit do? It testifies of whom testifies of the son. If you blaspheme the spirit, you've, you're not going to receive the son. And so in effect, what happens There's no forgiveness. You reject the son. There's no forgiveness. If you ascribe the one who's actually bringing people to, who convicts people of the, of, of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come, if you call that the work of Satan, you're never going to come to Christ. And it's kind of like that Pharaoh situation where the Lord had given him time and time and time again. It says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart when God was trying to get him to go along with this plan. But what happened in the end is it says, then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh wasn't coming back. And I think that's similar to what is happening with these men. They took, they were so hardened to the things of God that they actually ascribed which should never be done that Jesus was empowered by the evil one. And Jesus illustrates the evil state that they were in and would stay in verse 33 says to them either make the tree good and it's fruit good 
or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. He turns to them after they say, after he says this, he says, listen, you got to make the tree good and its fruit will be good. And he says, or make the tree bad and its fruits bad for the tree is known by this fruit. And basically the point is he's saying, you guys don't, you guys are bad, bad trees. And you've got bad fruit. How do you know you have bad fruit? And he goes into that. Verse 34. You brew vipers. He doesn't, you know, how to win and influence people, have friends influence people. This is not, this is, don't take notes on that. It's not a great opening line. <laughs> you know what? Our Lord, the holiest of holy in response to these men and their hearts, he says to them, you are a brood of vipers. That's nasty. I know in construction down in Southern California it probably happens up here. They, they move boulders to build homes on side of houses and, and you just have dens of rattlesnakes. You know, they have to crush them or roll over them or destroy. Them. I don't know what they do. They probably give them their own housing or something these days, but <laughs> <sighs> you brood of vipers. What do vipers do? I mean, we, we enjoy the benefits of them eating mice, but how many of you want to have a brood of vipers? Some of you do, but you know what I'm talking about. You snake. Okay, never mind. How can you speak good when you are evil? This is what you're saying. You're snakes. How can you speak good when you're evil? You're a bad tree. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his, the good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of an evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Think about what we've, what we say and how we say it. I'm guilty as anyone. I'm not preaching at you. I'm getting preached to. I've got, you know, the Lord has to clean my heart out more and more and more and be more sanctified like him. Okay. So, but I'm saying, think of the words we say and how we say them and why we say them or how we type them or text them or whatever it is we do. What does Jesus say here? I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Why? And he goes on in verse 37 for by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. What's he saying there? That if you have a perfect vocabulary, that you get justified. What's he saying? He's saying what James is saying. James is just echoing Jesus. James chapter five says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He's speaking of, of a tongue. Speaking of the tongue and he goes in and the tongue is a fire, a, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members and our bodies straining at the whole body, setting on fire, the entire course of life. Think about the words that we say and what we do. It leads you one way or the other. We always wonder how to enter an interview. It's about controlling our tongues, <laughs> you know, and saying what they want to hear and presenting yourself. Blah, blah, blah. That's so difficult, isn't it? Why does it just come naturally? Tongues of fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set 
among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. James doesn't light up, lighten up, does he? He sounds like someone we just heard from. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. How many of you have tamed animals? Like you send your dog to obedience school. Okay, just a couple. But you know what I'm just saying? You, you know, you, got, you can train an animal. You can train. They do weird things with animals. You can, uh, we just live by the wild animal park. It will always be the wild animal park, not the San Diego, whatever they call it now. They change names on you. You know, it's like, no, it's not. But they'd like click something and, and a bird would fly down and grab something. Or if, if you watched like the, how they train, like, you know, sea animals and the, these giant creatures that like respond to clicks and sounds and all this kind of stuff. It's just amazing how you can train the most wildest of things. But he says there, what does he say? But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See, James isn't speaking new truth. Who's he, who's he copying? Who's he echoing? Jesus. He says, with it, we bless the Lord and father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. If that's a verse that needs to be tattooed in the hearts of believers, that's one of them, especially me, right? With, with it, we bless our Lord and father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and curses. My brother, these, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh water and salt water? I know someone's going, oh, well, I saw once. No, did you? No. Okay. Just the general idea is he's saying, no, you've either got, I know there's brackish water. Let's just forget about that. It's either fresh water or salt water. Usually, right? You've got one or the other going on. What's he saying? What kind of tree are you? Your tongue is connected to your heart. Correct. What comes out of your mouth shows what kind of tree you are. And therefore on the day of judgment, all the careless words that people have spoken, it will bear witness as to what kind of tree we are. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Good trees bear good fruit, right? Bad trees bear bad fruit. These men would be condemned on the day of judgment for the words they uttered against the Holy Spirit. It's not that they had said it. It's that's who they are. I think that's more the important thing where it came from. Verse 38. And then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Hello. <laughs> so now show us a sign. All right. Don't give up. He just cast a demon out of man. Just cast a demon out of man. So show us a sign. Like a big one. We want to like, if you are all this, we just want to trap you, but just letting you know, go ahead. Give us a big sign. How many of you want to have a sign? God, show me a sign. Anyone show me that you're really there. I want to know you're there. How many of you said that to God? I haven't ever. <laughs> I've done it. Gotten weird. Verse 39. 
But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Isn't that wild? He is doing the miracles. He is doing those things. He says, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to show you. The only sign I'm going to give you, the one that you need to know about, is the this, is this sign of the prophet Jonah. How many of you guys know the story of Jonah? The Old Testament. I love the book of Jonah. It is awesome. It's like it ends weird too. He's like sitting there complaining that people got saved and that he can't have air conditioning. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty American. It's pretty funny, but for just, <laughs> he says there in verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the son of man be three days and three nights in the what? In the heart of the earth. If you guys remember, Jonah did not want to follow the will of God. This is not the parallel with Jesus. Jesus was following the will of God. Totally. Okay. But he was, he, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And, and, and Jonah goes, no. Cause I know what you're going to do. I'm going to preach and you're going to save these pagan people. And I want them to burn. That's Jonah. I'm paraphrasing. That's exactly where he was. I know you're merciful. I know you're kind. I know you'll extend mercy to them. So I'm not going, I'm getting on a boat and I'm going the opposite direction. That's what he did. And so God caused a storm to go and he knew what was going on. He's like, ah, okay. And everybody's like, okay, you got to jump off. And he finally, he jumps off and the storm stops. And then a, a whale gets him. And this is where the important part picks up because the rest is not paralleling Jesus so much. He's in the belly of a whale. And I know he wrote something while he was in there. Apparently like, <laughs> I mean, what do you do? You just sit there and create a song, but the point is, is that you die when you're in, in a whale and he was spit back up on the shore. And that's the image of what it is that Jesus would be swallowed up by death for three days. But on the third day he would rise again. He would be put on the shore. He says, that's the sign I'm giving you. Hey church, if you ever said, God, give me a sign. This is it. Jesus Christ died and he rose again from the grave three days later. This is the sign you need. This is the, the only sign you need. He died to save us from all of our sin, all of it. And then he rose again that we might have his life. We will have his life. That's the sign you need. All blessings flow from that. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation, you're searching for fluff. I want to give you the real deal. I want to give you substance. And there's no more deeper substance than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. From that, all blessings flow. And so that's what Jesus says to them. So look for that sign. Jesus said, I'm only giving you the sign of Jonah. Verse 41, he says, the men of Nineveh were almost done. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Listen, unwilling, reluctant prophet Jonah came and, told, and, and, and preached to a city and they repented with weeping and all these things that were going on. You can read about it. And he says, listen, if that prophet did that and they repented, now someone greater than Jonah is here. This is amazing. And, and, and you are not repenting. 
And a prophet greater than Jonah, a messenger greater than Jonah, doing more signs than Jonah, all these types of things. Look what I'm doing. Nineveh, they will speak against you on the day of judgment. The queen of the South, he gives another example, verse 42 quickly. The queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Three times in this chapter, the greater than happened greater than the temple, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, Lord of the Sabbath, God in the flesh. God has presented himself in the miracles testified to that. He is greater. The point of this chapter is that Jesus, the son of God, is the son of David. He's the son of man. He's the son of God. He's the greatest there ever was and will be. And there should be a recognition of him, his deity, his wisdom, his power is empowering the full, the, the fulfillment of the prophecies. But instead what happened is the hard heart rejects him. So too with you. So too with me. So too with those around us. Paul said in Romans one, he said, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. Church, you don't need to do the signs and wonders and fire and and weird things and worrying if people see all this preach the gospel. The power is in the gospel. God will draw people to himself. Love him and, and let him be Lord of your life and let him speak through you. You broken, weak vessel that he chose before the foundations of the earth to reveal his glory through. Amen. And here's the sad truth of what is going to happen to this nation. And this is important. I know this is longer church, but just hang in here. Remember I told you to think about what happened to that man who was delivered totally. Now Jesus jumps back to this and you got to keep the context. Otherwise you get weird theology. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. He gives us insight into the spiritual realm of what happens when he casts out demons. What do they do? Where do they go? They're seeking for someone to inhabit. Then he says, then it says the demon says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds a house empty, swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they entered and dwelled there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And so also will be with this evil generation. What's he talking about there? I busted into the strong man's house. I cleaned everything up. Everything's in order. But unless I'm feeling it, guess who's coming back? And it's going to be worse than it was when I left. And that's exactly what happened. So it is with us. We can go to church. We can do all the things. We can sing the songs. We can have experience. Unless Jesus fills our life. Unless he is Lord. It's worse than the first. Here's the thing. It's totally willing. Invite him into the house. Invite him into the room, say, ah, come in, let him be Lord. Amen. 
while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man and told them, who is my brother and who are my, who are my, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples said, here are my brothers. Here's my mother. Here's my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister. Jesus isn't dishonoring Mary. He isn't dishonoring his brothers and sisters. They all, they all become believers. Apparently what he's saying is this, my kingdom is here and my family. I might, you might, some of them might be led. Some of them might not. My, my family is the one who does the will of my father. That's the household of a Christian and it cuts family lines. Amen. That's what a church is. We are a family with one father. What binds us that we do his will. How do we do his will? Why would we do his will? Because his spirit, the Holy spirit, the spirit of Christ saved us and resides in us. And now that his heart is our heart. Amen. So why do we love one another? Because they love one another and they're in us and us in them. We're one. So a lot there church. I pray the Lord would bring many of your earthly family into the real family through your witness and testimony. Amen. We want to pray that continually, but there's one greater than all and he's here and his spirit is here and he's in you. Amen. If indeed you have believed father, we love you. We thank you for this extended time in your word. It's good to saturate. All glory and honor to you. All glory and honor to you. Just pray that our eyes would be tuned. Our hearts would be focused on your will. That your name would be lifted up above all in this church, Lord, in our families, in our lives, our personal lives. Help us, Lord. You're, you're everything. In the name of Jesus, amen. Lord bless you all. Thank you for sticking with me. Amen. God bless.